This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey everyone, Scott Hansen here from NFL Red Zone. I hope you're checking out one hour of Five Yard Rush, one of the best podcasts on NFL football in the UK. Hello, good evening, Rush Nation, and welcome along to your new look Five Yard Dynasty show. Uh, I'm Dan, anybody that's watched the flagship show, myself and Murph, and especially if you watched last week, you'd have realized that I'm going to be over here on Tuesdays from now on, and I am delighted to say that joining me uh, for, I say for a one-off, she's going to have a brief hiatus in the middle before returning. Um, but is my new co-host, partner in crime, Hannah. How are you, Hannah? Yeah, I'm great, thanks, Dan. I am super excited for everything we've got in store, but particularly, obviously, our first show and our super guest that we've got. Um, and I'm just really excited to jump on board with you, Dan. It must be really weird for you now presenting and hosting on a Tuesday instead of a Monday. It's a lot more relayed back. Because uh, I don't finish work, I don't get home to work. So I've gone half six, and Murph had me on at six forty-five. So um, it was in the door, wave to the kids, and get out my suit and and sit on the sofa and do this. So eight o'clock, much more laid back. Have some time, something to eat. I've had time to put the kids to bed, um, and now we can relax into this. So still done zero prep, but we'll figure that out as we go on. I'm sure. So um, and you mentioned our super guest. We do have a great guest today, uh, a friend of mine who is. As you can see him there, Evan, Evan Lucian on Twitter. Uh, Evan, you're the host of Dynasty Debates and you write and rank for both Dynasty Nerds. How are you doing? I am doing great. Thank you very much for having me on, especially the very first show. It is an honor. I, th- I think it's a really good strategy, though. Like you do, you want to set the bar really low. And then like every <laughs> guest that comes on after, it's very easy to top. So I think you're, you're, you're nailing it. But I may suggest I think you should wear the suit when you do the show. You come home and you said you take the suit off. But I feel like if you wore the suit, maybe got like a little head mic, you could bring it up a notch and be like, okay. you could be like Scott Hansen, you know, who is in the intro of your show. Yeah. Be like, I think, you know, I think it's something to think about. For those who don't know what I do, though, I'm an estate agent, so it's proper three-piece suit, smart, a year, I don't know, might be a bit above 
dress. How do you fancy a cocktail dress for next week's show? Well, maybe, you know, if it <laughs> raises the bar, raise my kind of content, make me look a bit better, might have to do it. It takes more than a suit to make me look any better, I'm afraid. So um, good evening, Jack. Thank you for joining us here on, hopefully, Hannah, what's going to be a, a good path. I mean, we've spoke a bit away from here that we have huge boots to fill. Uh, Evan, you know the guys, Rich and Liam as well. What they've done here with Five Yard Dynasty was fantastic. Um, it's going to be a, a learning curve thing for each of us as we go on, and we're excited about what we've got to come and bring to you guys. Bear with us as we kind of find our feet and, and move forward. But I guess we kind of want to start our journey a little bit more back to basics and and grow this. Rich and Liam's knowledge was phenomenal, and, and the advice they gave out was exceptional. And we've got that knowledge, I guess, to a certain extent, but we want to kind of strip it back um, and look out and kind of go on a journey and a path with you guys, as well as offering the highbrow content, the serious in Vazite. So is that about right, Hannah? Yeah, I think you've nailed it right on the head there, Dan. Yeah, just really looking forward to kind of digging into it. Um, like you say, you know, we're going to go on a journey ourselves and also with the listeners. And hopefully, you know, we all can improve our knowledge of Dynasty and become champions. That's it. So... Uh, today, we're going to have a look back at the Rookie Combine. Pro days have been going on. Evan's here to chat through what the performances were, um, who did well, who did it well, but also what kind of impact these Combines and Pro days have on your rookie big boards. You know, we're in the month of the draft now. Dynasty drafts, rookie drafts are going to be happening probably sort of four, five, six weeks from now onwards for the rest of eternity. Um, so let's have a look at how much we factor that in. We're going to have a new kind of couple of segments towards the end of the show as well. So we're going to get um some listener questions in so fire questions over to us on here on twitter at five yard dynasty myself hannah our handles are on there so drop us any questions we'll save them up uh, and we'll get through them as we get to them each show uh, and we're going to have a segment where our guest on the show is going to pose a question to our next guest without knowing who they are um, or what their specialist subject is i guess so that will be quite interesting sometimes to put people out of their box now, Evan, you don't know this. We didn't hand the guest previously because this is mine and Hannah's first show. Was he explained? Funny how that. I've works. gone. Yeah, you're not getting away with it though. I've gone to the man himself, Rich Cooling, Dynasty Island, Ooh, as a former host. Big dog has has provided a question, not knowing you was coming on. He didn't know you was our <laughs> first guest, so he has posed a question for you. So we'll get to that at the end. But um, Can Evan, let's start where we are. Go on, combine pro days. What stood out for you? Yeah, I mean, obviously for me, I, I love the combine because I just love the whole draft process. To be honest with you, it's like one of, it's hard to say it's one of my favorite. I just love all aspects of Dynasty, but it is up there. It's one of my favorite aspects of the Dynasty game. I love the real NFL side of it. So I listen to a lot of stuff like you know, Move the Sticks podcast around the NFL, and uh, listen to Lance Zierlein, Dean Brugler, these kind of guys. You know, Daniel Jeremiah that just literally go deep in the weeds about not just the offensive skill position, but the offensive line, the DBs, and everything. I just think it's fascinating. I love it. I love the whole process. So by the time you get to the combine, it's very exciting. You know, it's the underwear Olympics, as some people call it, and it's exciting. You see, in all these guys competing uh, against each other. So yeah, it's absolutely exciting. Love it. I, I will say that, you know, for me personally, and I think 
in general, like you don't want to, you don't want to weigh what happens at the combine too much. Like you want it to be the way I sort of explain it. We've been doing prospect talk for the last like month and a half on my show, because I do love it. And I think it's important this time of year, you need to get familiar with the different prospect prospects, who's good, who's not so good or whereabouts you're going to want to take them. Cause even if a good you know prospect is good, doesn't mean you necessarily want to take them at the one Oh three, if they're really more of a second or third round prospect. So, you know, for me, it's like the way I've been explaining it is with all this stuff, it's, the classic analytics versus film debates, the combine versus pro day, all these sort of things. They're all just pieces to the puzzle. You don't want to, you can't build a puzzle with one piece. If you can, it's not really a puzzle. It's just a picture. So you got to build the puzzle one piece at a time. So when you go to the combine, that's just a piece of the puzzle. What I like to do is by the time the combine happens, I like to have a rough idea of what I think of this prospect anyway. And so hopefully the combine results is just sort of reinforcing what I already thought about this player. So if I thought they were really, really fast, like Devon A-Chain, hopefully they come out and run very fast, which he did. So that's good. Now, if I think somebody's really, really fast and they come out and run like a four seven, then you're like, whoa, okay, I need to reevaluate. Maybe I missed something, or especially if the general consensus is that they're a very fast player and they run a four seven, then you sort of want to go back, maybe ask some questions. And that's nice that it's a month and a half or so before the draft because it still gives you a bit of time to do that and to kind of reflect on what you've seen uh, and what's happened there. And there's a lot of kind of mitigating factors, right? There may be injuries, and we see players that don't partake in, in certain events during the combine if they don't partake in the combine at all. Um, yeah, and exactly. And it's and so it's so. fascinating because you can go down a whole rabbit trail of things like, for example, you know, you Bryce can. Young, there was a lot of concern over his height and his weight, you know, as a quarterback, quite a small yep. dude. And he like noticeably didn't weigh in, you know, <laughs> and it's like, well, we you, had it last year with Kenny Pickett's hand size, right? Yeah. Kenny Pickett's hands start to notice, grew, I think, a quarter of an inch between the combine and the pro day. Exactly. He's doing hand yoga or something, you know, stretching those joints out, getting every little half inch. It matters because, you know, absolutely. There's, there's guys that will, you know, they'll purposefully avoid certain events or certain weigh-ins because they are aware of the notion about them. They don't want to reinforce that, that maybe they're a bit too small or maybe they don't weigh enough. Whereas on the other side of it, funny, funny enough that sometimes there'll be players that will weigh in at the combine because they're proving that they've bulked up and I'm over 200 pounds, but then they won't run a 40. And you're like, hmm. And then when it comes to their pro day, all of a sudden they won't weigh in, but they're running their 40. And they're like, yeah, look how fast I am. And don't worry about my weight. We already checked it like that last month. And it's because they're, it is fascinating. You can get really into the weeds and there's a lot of little things that they're doing to cut weight or to get up to a certain size. Cause there's th- certain thresholds that, you know, teams want to see and analytical people want to see. So it, it is fascinating, but I would just say, don't base your whole rookie draft off of combine results or pro day results. Uh, I'll say you mentioned the weight and the sprint. The only other sport I can think where something like that happens is boxing. Boxers do all they can to stay below a certain weight for a weigh-in 24 hours before a fight and then hydrate, hydrate, hydrate to bulk up to enhance the performance the other side. It's the only sport I can think of where that kind of, we're going to manipulate your body for different events in different timescales. And this is even prolonged. I mean, as you say, this could be a month or three weeks between a, a combine and a pro day. Yeah. The example well, exactly. really exaggerated. Yeah. And especially guys like this who are professional athletes who are having amazing, you know, um, instructors, amazing sort of like physios guys that are just really giving them like key, like here's what you want to eat. Here's how much you want to eat all that kind of stuff. Um, those kind of guys are, I mean, they're able to do crazy stuff in a month, you know, as far as like putting on 10, 15 pounds of muscle or stripping down 10 or 12 pounds, you know, that they need to. And just to be able to 
shave a half second off their 40 time because all that kind of stuff matters when you're comparing the best to the best. You know, they're basically saying, Hey, we know what you did in college, but how do you weigh and you know, how do you stand up against all these other players if you're a running back or how do you run all these different, you know, drills if you're a wide receiver and things like that. So I guess it all matters. It's all pieces of the puzzle, but it is a fascinating sort of, it can get, it can get definitely become a rabbit hole. They can go down. I've got, I was just going to have a quick question for you, Evan, actually, uh, before we get into the weeds with like certain players, based on a performance at the combine or their pro date, do you ever change a player on your kind of rankings or do you always go back and look at, right, why is it different to what I thought originally and then go from there? Or have you ever been like this performance means that I will definitely change this, this player? So that's a really interesting question. And I think that based just off of combine or pro day results, not majorly, like I'm not going to say this player sucks. I hate this player. And then they come out and run like a four, two, nine. And I'm like, okay, never mind. They're a first round pick. I was wrong. You know what I mean? Because again, they're showcasing us certain things and those things are important. But again, how you run in a straight line with no pads on isn't as important to me as how you play your functional strength, your, your functional speed in a game. So yes, a little bit like, for example, Anthony Richardson is a good example of that in this draft class, because, you know, he's a quarterback who you get excited about certain flashes that you see on film and you think, wow, that's really cool. But then you watch another, you know, couple of plays and you're like, Oh, that's not good. Like what is happening here? So then you're sort of, cautiously optimistic then he goes out and just wrecks the combine and you're like okay i have to take this guy pretty seriously like yes he's raw around the edges but i mean he's got like historical athletic testing so i think that's that's what i would say is like if somebody comes out and does well or even better than you thought that's okay take it into consideration now if someone comes out and absolutely wrecks the combine you probably need to take it into consideration and weigh it a little bit. Now, again, does that mean I'm going to bump him above like a CJ Stroud or a Bryce Young? No, but am I going to take him more seriously than I would have before the combine? Yeah, a little bit because at this, you're looking at something that you're saying, like, for example, I don't know if you guys utilize or have heard of uh, math bomb. He does like the remote, remote uh, he does like the relative athletic scoring RAS and he looks at all these like prospects and looks at all their combine data, things like that way back years and years and years. And it's really fun little site to go play around on because um, you can even compare prospects. So if we compare Anthony Richardson on the RAS on his, um, on his scale, like you compare him to Cam Newton, who was like, you know, a, a freak athlete, just one of the most athletic guys when he was coming out and he actually scores better than Cam Newton. Like Cam Newton was like a nine, nine, three or nine, nine, seven or something like that on his scale of one to 10. Um, Anthony Richardson is a perfect 10. So you have, you have to take that into consideration. I mean, this, this dude as a quarterback, a big quarterback was running a faster 40 than a lot of the wide receiver prospects in this class, you know? So you have to take those kind of things into consideration, but again, no, I'm not going to just say, well, he smashed the combo and therefore he jumps two two um, rounds in my rookie draft grades. I'm going to kind of just say as well, if I can, on that same subject. For me, when I look at a rookie, and a rookie is uh, 100% of the picture, I'm taking 35-40% of that is the video that I've watched and seen them game time in real-life situation. 30 to 45% of my decisions based on the analytics, how they perform, what results they performed, how many catches for yards after catch, and all of that, or whatever they be. And then kind of factoring in 10 to 15% of that is actually their combine and pro day performance. As Evan said, it's, it's very little weighting in the grand scheme of things for me, but it does have some on either end of the scale. I think if they fall within a middling of the patch, if they're, I don't know, a 
0.3.4 out on their 40 yard either way no one's going to really object if they're suddenly at one end of that or the other end of that then you need to look at the the top and bottom of the scale uh, and then the last bit for me will be the draft itself you know the capital and landing spots that get factored into where they go so um and i think you're right it, i think hmm. Uh, so I believe it's Daniel Jeremiah uses the term cluster buster. And so I think for me, things like how well they test in the combine, you can use that to sort of help differentiate within a tier. So you could say, you know, for example, man, I really like these three wide receivers. I'm not really sure who I like best. I just can't make a decision. And then one of them goes out and smashes, like, you know, runs a great 40, has a great three cone, you know, runs a nice 10, 10 yard split, all that kind of stuff. And the other two, like just bomb. Well, then, that helps you make your decision. You sort of think, okay, I'm going to bump that guy to the top of the tier because they were all really close for me. But now he's like, I, he's proven to me that he's athletically, he's a little bit better, a little bit more superior than these other guys. So again, you're not using it to jump huge like ranks, but you're maybe using it as a cluster buster, like kind of saying, okay, that's just going to edge it for me a little bit. And also in Indianapolis, they're in a dome inside, no crowd, no pressure no defense on some of the routes that they run for catches and such like totally, totally controlled environment. Some of these guys would have played in warm States and warm cities through college would have come from there. will do their combine in that enclosed environment. And then they'll go and be playing in green Bay in November. You can't allow for that or factor that when it comes through to it as well. It's such a controlled environment. And like I said, you know, one of my favorite words through the whole process, I, I always use the word is contextualize. And it's all about trying to contextualize all these bits of information because there's a lot of wide receivers that you could say, well, man, he only ran a four five or four five three or something. That's pretty crap, isn't it? Like, but at the end of the day, if it's Cooper Cup or if it's DeAndre Hopkins or if it's, you know, Keenan Allen, it doesn't really matter because they're insanely good route runners. They've got amazing hands, you know. For me, it's about traits. It's like, what are their traits? What what like elite traits can they hang their hat on? And if they are supposed to be athletic freaks, then that's what you want to see at the combine. You're like, hey, this guy is supposed to be a workout warrior. He's supposed to be running a four three. He's supposed to be you know doing forty reps on the bench or whatever ridiculous number. And if you're seeing that, then you're like, okay, well, I get that. It ties in. Whereas if you're like. I don't expect a guy like a Keenan Allen or, you know, whoever it may, or Jackson Smith and Jigba. You're not, I'm not expecting him to come out and run four, three. That's not his game. That's not what he does. So if he did that, I'd just be like, Oh, that's brilliant. Like that's an extra string to his bow, but that's not, I'm not going to knock him for not doing that because I wasn't expecting him to do it in the first place. And I think that's a really important thing to, to think about as well and to contextualize is that you're not double counting, they call it. So sometimes we double count stats because we love that a player's fast. So then when they come out and run fast, we get even more excited. And it's like, well, you shouldn't really because you should just be like, okay, cool. I expected him to run fast. He ran fast. Tick. Not, oh, he ran fast. Yes, now he's the 101. It's like, well, no, we already thought that, you know? So I think really, um, I guess, I don't know if you guys agree or not, but in actually in a lot of cases, probably the combine doesn't really have much of an effect because they go out and they do what we expect them to do, where it kind of has a bit more kind of influence potentially is where players do what we don't expect them to do. So that's either be slower than we expected. So why are they slower, et cetera, or faster more athletic stronger or whatever than what we were expecting and obviously in those instances we might not necessarily move them up or down the board straight away but we're going to go back to 
their film or you know their traits or whatever that is and then just reanalyze and like you say maybe that brings them to the top of the tier rather than at the bottom where you had them earlier or whatever that might be so it's more kind of on these players that perform not as we expect kind of where we expect potentially for us to go back and look and maybe consider moving them if we feel that these you know is important or or not you know if he's coming off an injury and he's slower well weren't there you know but if he's really slow and we're expecting to be really quick like you say Evan then clearly there's something there that we weren't expecting and we need to go back and reassess yeah exactly well I think it works both ways it's definitely like you say there's there are guys that um because another part of it again contextualizing is when you're watching the gauntlet for example. So that's the wide receiver drill where they run down and they're catching the balls really quickly and everything. There is something, there is truth to the fact that there's just something different about being able to watch all these guys do the exact same thing and do it in succession because you can start to see, man, that guy looked really smooth doing that. That looked really, really good. That guy really just like he dropped everything or man, he just really struggled. So again, it's contextualizing, but it does help you to start to, you know, really sift through and kind of it's the old like the cream will rise to the top you know and there's certain guys you watch run that drill and you're just like wow they look really nice and we had it last year with guys david like, bell with david bell jumping every time he caught the ball running the gauntlet didn't he well some yeah and sometimes that exactly so things can happen both ways where like somebody can come out and they actually pop so much that you're like i need to go back and look at these guys again like what am i missing is this was this on their film am i did i not pay enough attention um so you can kind of see it that way but then it can happen the other way where like like um hannah was just talking about you know for example uh somebody like for me would have been there's a wide receiver that i was a little bit I was concerned about, you know, I I had a lot of concerns, especially with 2022 versus 2021. Uh, His name is Dontavian Wicks out of Virginia. So for me, if he had come out and like smashed the combine, I'd have been like, okay, maybe I can give him a little bit of a buy ball here because I know there was a lot of changes in his coaching staff and his scheme and in his quarter, you know, all this sort of stuff had happened. So you can kind of think maybe, I don't know, maybe I can, but when he comes out and he kind of flopped at the combine, like he just kind of sucked at the combine, unfortunately for him. And so for me, it's like, well, I was already down on him now that he's come out and he, he's not even like an athletic freak. I mean, he ran a four, six two forty, which is not great. He's like one, third or fourth worst of all the wide receivers that ran. So you've already got these concerns. And like kind of said, he kind of comes on just face plants. So you're kind of like probably writing him off your list at that stage when you were already concerned guys like, you know, last year, Christian Watson, some people had from an analytics perspective, some people like, Ooh, I don't know. He's a, he's an older prospect. He comes from a smaller school. I'm not sure. But then when he comes out and he's an athletic freak and he's like speedy and he's doing all these things that you're like, man, a guy that big and that shouldn't be able to do all those things. You need to take that into consideration and say, well, okay, maybe we can give him a little bit of a Bible here. And like, you, and to your point, it's not specifically the combine, but it is a piece of the puzzle. Really. We do need to think about draft capital. Like ultimately, especially with wide receivers, if they're getting that first, second round, or even third round, but first and second round, why, you know, draft capital for a wide receiver is really important. That shows that that NFL team thinks they're really good or thinks they have really big plans for them. That isn't, that is not like foolproof. We all got Jalen Rager, you know, in our rookie drafts a couple of <laughs> years ago, but at the same time, it is a really good indicator that this guy's got a, a pathway to relevance that we needed to bear in mind. Totally agree. So with all that said, we mentioned obviously Anthony Richardson right now, who did really well, who did stand out from a QB perspective. Um, who else caught your eye? 
big name, little name, any position? Well, so one of the most like to me, so for me, I do think that the combine and especially pro days, I will say for me, especially pro days are a bit of a, a Rorschach test for uh, people. They kind of see what they want to see. I feel like a lot of times, I think if you didn't like a player, you're going to find ways to ding him throughout this process. You're like, oh, I didn't look, I mean, look at this 40. It was only a 4-4. He should have ran a 4-3. And you're like, really? You know, um, but if you really love the player, you're going to find ways to forgive the little nuances of what they did wrong or what they didn't even attempt. So for me, I know there was a lot of buzz on the streets for Israel Abanakanda, like last week or so. People were freaking out about the fact that, you know, he's a big dude and he ran a really nice, um, a really nice 40. So he's like 200, he weighed in like 217, 220 pounds. So pretty big guy for running back. And I think he ran like a 4-4 or a 4-4-1 or something like that, you know, on official time in his pro day. So everyone's just freaking out and like, you know, they're like anointing him as like a top five running back in the class. The problem for me, so the, the really interesting thing for me, and this is probably something where, I try to be really transparent with my process. You know, at the end of the season there, I went back and did a whole series looking at like the 2022 prospects and how I ranked them and where they ended up playing and stuff. Cause I think it's really important to be honest and to be transparent with your process. And that's the only way you can learn. And it's the only way people can trust you is if like you're being honest with your hits as well as your misses. So for me, Israel Vanaganda is going to be a real, real interesting test because I don't like what I see on film. I don't have him anywhere near top five running back in this class, but a lot of people are very excited and they really love what they're seeing. And I feel like there's starting to be some like double counting of stuff, you know, because watching him, I feel like, you know, that he's pretty fast when he has a hole, he has an open lane. He can hit that lane. He used to be track guy. He can, he is fast. That's fine. I'm okay with that. I don't think he has very good vision. I don't think he's very powerful as a runner. There's a lot of concerns I personally have. So if he does come out and get like second round draft capital, and then he like absolutely kills it this year, I'll have a lot of humble pie to eat. Um, but at the same time, if he does get like fourth round draft capital and then sucks, I'll just be like, yeah, like I said, not good. No, I'm joking. I don't think he's that bad, but I, I'm not a big fan. So again, for me, that's somebody that, you know, is getting a lot of buzz and a lot of hype, but I feel like sometimes we just, we, we get so excited about the draft and then about this time we get a little bit like antsy. So I feel like we start creating a little bit of narratives for ourselves and we start like, <laughs> like trying to either make players better than they are or nitpick good players and make them like second guess ourselves. You know, like we did it with Christian Watson. I loved Christian Watson last year. Loads of people hated him. Loads of people were like, he sucks. He's terrible. And then even when he got high second round draft capital to a, you know, wide receiver needy team with Aaron Rodgers as a quarterback, loads of people were still like, I wouldn't take him. I, I wouldn't take him. I would take him in like the third round. So you know? use Christian Watson, a similar thing. Sky Moore went to a wide receiver needy team with Patrick Mahomes. Yet the total opposite occurred. The buzz for Sky Moore took him from a late second round pick into a, mid to late first round picking some rookie drafts yeah totally and that's that's what i mean so i think that we have to learn from those things and we have to say okay first of all nothing is foolproof nothing is 100 percent. you're gonna have misses so we talked about jalen rager we've talked about sky moore we've talked about i don't know if you guys remember um you know a couple years ago it was like Denzel Mims. Um, there was guys that, you know, that every year there's guys that we get excited about and we bump up the draft board probably higher than we should. Even if you think about Sky Moore, think about a couple of years ago, Michael Hardman. So Michael Hardman didn't even have, you know, the excuse of like second round draft capital. He was like a fifth round pick or something. But because he went to the Chiefs, because we love Patrick Mahomes and because we love what Tyreek Hill did with Patrick Mahomes, we just bumped these players 
too much and we give them too much of a boost from draft capital and things. So Sky Moore is a really interesting one, actually, because I genuinely did love Sky Moore. Like before the draft and everything, I had like a late, a late first round rookie draft grade on him. So for me, when he got drafted in the second round and he went to the Chiefs, I was just like, well, I already had a first round grade on him. So I'm not bumping him up anymore, but I am still comfortable taking him at the end of the first round. To me, that lands with we're never going to be 100% right. Because honestly, as far as I'm concerned, I know I'm mostly a film guy. I really love Sky Moore. I know a lot of analytics guys really love Sky Moore. So I feel like he was just one of those guys that sometimes with the best will in the world, you're not going to hit 100% of the time. So, you know, I think that there's things that we can learn from certain players, like certainly like Michael Hardman's, you know, guys like that, where we didn't really like them before all of a sudden they had landing spot and draft capital. And then we boosted them up way too high. The same thing happened to some extent with CEH, uh, the same thing happened again, you know, with there's, there's players like that every year where we get like so excited because they get first round draft capital. But then we also forget, you know, that there's Jordan first round busts all the time. <laughs> yeah, there is um, more often than not as well. Um, and I've seen before stats on when you do rookie drafts, the, the chances of a QB that you draft in the first round of your rookie draft, having a, continual QB1 performance and an RB having a continual RB1 performance and so on. It tapers off incredibly drastic. And I'll try and find the stats in the coming days again and get it out there before before the actual drafts start beginning. But um, yeah, the chances of hitting someone third, fourth round in a rookie draft, Elijah Mitchell was the one that stands out in recent years, but now obviously he's got CMC on board and who knows where that goes yeah. for him. But he was the one, and I, I had a lot of Elijah Mitchell at the time, undrafted from a lot of leagues yeah. at the time. It was one of those throwaway taxi squad ads that you could get, you know, when you sold some rookie picks and you had space at the end of the draft, he was someone I went and just stuck and gambled on. He was a running back in a committee yeah. backfield. Um, it was one that made sense to me at the time. So, yeah, the odds of striking gold later well, in the line is slim. And I think what you have to what you have to think about, right, is again, it's about contextualizing. Think about how often that happens in the real life NFL where these people get paid not just paid, they get paid millions of dollars every year to make these decisions and they still get it wrong. Like think about yep. Baker Mayfield was the first overall pick a couple of years ago. Dude can't even stay on a team anymore. Like he's getting he's, cut from teams. He's home now. You know, he's home now. Sam Darnold was a top five pick, you know, like these guys were literally like, <laughs> I mean, these guys were like people that get paid millions of dollars were saying, that's the guy that's our yep. dude and trading up for people you know we don't know obviously there's been a lot of unfortunate injuries with trey lance but so far you know he could easily be a bust long term yeah. i mean brock purdy could steal his job as mr irrelevant you know that's I the know. buzz on the street is that they're just as happy for brock purdy to have this job as trey lance at this stage even though they traded multiple first round picks up to get him yeah so, then a, a gm in the offseason has one job and one job only and that is to lie no, but they don't have anything so, to gain from that because they have both players. So there's nothing yeah. to gain. If anything, they would have to gain by pumping up Trey Lance if they're trying to get his trade yeah. value up. They'd be like, oh, yeah, Trey Lance is our dude, man. I mean, I guess you could take him from us for two first. But, I mean, man, we love this guy. So for them to come out and kind of say, yeah, we're happy to roll with Brock Purdy, so that doesn't really, really you know, make much sense for them. So it oh. just it happens all the time. So, yeah, exactly. Anybody who says they don't have misses is either lying or they haven't been taking many shots. <laughs> I haven't been playing very long. Because you played this game for long enough, you will get misses. No doubt about it. Um, well, I mean, the, the rookie drafts are so deep, aren't they? I mean, there's no way that you're not going to, you know, get misses, you know, in the third and fourth round. You know, at that point, a lot of those players are undrafted or late in the draft. 
where teams are taking them for roster fillers. You know, they're, they're not necessarily going to be starters day one and they are taking them for that reason, you know, to go on special teams or whatever that might be. So, you know, I mean, it's almost impossible to, to get every single of your rookie picks correct, you know. Yeah, no, absolutely. And like you said, you know, to Dan's point, I'm pretty sure historic off the top of my head, I believe the historical hit rate just on first round picks in rookie drafts is like 50%. So you're talking, it's a coin flip, even in the first round after that, it's yep. just nosedive. So like by the time you get to the third round, I believe it's like five or 10% chance that you're going to get a hit, you know, so it could be only one hit every third round, which, you know, can kind of be depressing, but it's, it's just part of the fun of the game. You know, like you always love those stories, you know, like in years to come when you're like, I got Terry McLaurin in the third oh, round yes. of my rookie drafts, you know, <laughs> and it's like, it's a great feeling. And that's why things like this are important is because you know what? It's about minimizing your misses as much as possible. And it's yep. about increasing your hits. So if you can hit at a 25% rate, that doesn't sound good, but when the rest of your league's hitting at a 10% rate, you're still going to come out on top. The other thing to that I would say is trust yourself. Like Sky Moore hype went through the roof last year. And I wasn't a Sky Moore fan. I, I passed on him a lot. Um, sometimes for a better player in the situation so far, and sometimes I've got a worse player in the situation than where we are. But I trusted my own instincts, my own gut. Because as I say, the landing spot and draft capital for me was 10% of my total assessment of that player. The rest of it was the video I watched, was the analytics of what he'd done, um, and these combine and stuff like that. So it wasn't somebody, yeah, he landed there. I took a chance. I've got enough leagues that we can diversify. I'm sure you guys have as well and and have a just-in-case type player, I guess. But Sky Moore wasn't somebody I was particularly keen on at the time. And I trusted that. It is about trusting yourself, especially when you do get to those late second, third round, fourth rounds. And some rookie drives, I've got a five rounds deep. Well, you're dart throwing, way dart throwing at that stage. So if you've seen something on a video, if you've seen something in an analytics, if you've seen something at the combine and, hey, if you've seen an interview with a guy and think, hey, he seems like a decent dude and you want to root for him, at that stage, get him because he's just as likely to be the one hit in that round as anybody else will. So I'd say trust your gut and go with those types of people. Yeah, I think you're right. I think at the end of the day, I, I always suggest that, you know, it should be fun. Like, you know, fantasy football in general is supposed to be fun. Yes, winning is fun. Yes, you know, having the trophy and talking smack and all that stuff is great. I love it. But at the same time, you want to have fun. You want to root for your team. Like, you, there's nothing worse than going through a startup or going through a rookie draft and looking at your team and being like, I, hate, I can't stand any of these players. Like, you know, I really wanted Israel Abanakanda, but I took, you know, this, you know, guy, Tank Bigsby or whatever. It's like, look, if you really believe in Israel Banakanda and you love him and you think he's the next big thing, yes, you have to be reasonable with it. I think personally, because especially if you're playing in money leagues, you're just going to be throwing your money away. If you're like, I love Israel Banakanda, I went to Pitt, I'm taking him 101. That's just stupid. You know, you should be taking Bijan 101 if you're in a one QB league. Like at the end of the day, if you love him that much, just trade back a little bit, get some extra gravy on top and then take your dude. But yeah, you want to get your guy and you know, you want to have guys that you like and you have want to have guys you can root for. Yeah. My most owned player in all of my dynasty leagues is Zay Jones. I was, I'm an ECU pirate fan. Zay Jones is, and we don't have many NFL kind of players come out of ECU, which is what I love about it as well, because you can actually follow these guys careers and, and watch them on. Um, so Zay Jones is my most rostered player just because I like rooting for him. And I know this year I'm going to be adding a ton of Keaton Mitchell on top of him because regardless of the fact he's an ECU pirate, I actually quite like Keaton Mitchell as a running back. Um, 
so yeah, he is someone's ADP. I am watching incredibly closely because I am working out. Hey, if I'm four, You're five, solely picks responsible for his ADP. It sounds like <laughs> I'm literally driving it, but Hey, he had a decent 40, uh, third fastest of all running backs in the 40. So I think he's got something about him. I just think we'll say when you get to those third round picks, you're looking for somebody that can make a difference. And if he's draft capital, wouldn't he, if he lands on a decent side where he's got an opportunity to make the field, I think he is somebody that could have a career and I'll be rooting for him. So what better way to root for him than have a win-win and get some points on my dynasty roster at the same time. Yeah. And that's, what's fun about, you know, those kind of shows, like, you know, like even what we're doing over at the dynasty debates is like, we're just going through so many prospects, wide receivers, you know, tight ends, running backs. And it's, it's really important, I think, to kind of, weed out who you think are the best players and kind of have an idea in your head, especially if you've only got one or two picks, you want to have an idea. These are the three or four dudes in this range that I'm hoping land to me. Um, but again, to your point, if you've got a couple thirds and fourths, it's it's really fun to just find a couple guys that you just like. And you're like, you know what? Yeah, they may never hit, but I really like this player. You know, for me, Evan Hull. I love Evan Hull. Um, there's a couple other guys that are on this hype train with me, but most people are not. And if I'm getting him in like the third round and stuff this year, I'm super happy because I really like the guy. I'm rooting for him. I love his pass catching ability. You know, I think there's a lot of meat on the bones there as far as what he could add to an NFL team. So I'll take lots of shots on him in the third round because for me, I see upside there and I like him and I want to root for him. So exactly. Thirds and fourth rounds, you know, definitely take your shots, find guys you really just want to root for. And then when you do get that hit, you'll feel great about it. That's it. That's one thing I love about overhype in this industry and Twitter and the way we're also closely linked together, not just here in the UK, but everywhere. Is someone like Sky Moore last year again, we come back to it. When that rises, I was great because I wasn't in for Sky Moore. So let the talk rise, let him rise, let him rise because that means somebody else is going to fall. Uh, and I'll take my chances on that one instead at that stage. Whereas now, Keaton Mitchell on the other way. I'm driving Keaton Mitchell. Uh, and I wouldn't be surprised <laughs> to see Keaton Mitchell be a late first round pick for me. So, <laughs> and since we're in a league together, I'll make sure and snipe you on him. And so yeah, I can yeah. turn around and sell him to you for an exorbitant price. Uh, you yeah. can have Keaton Mitchell for a 24 second, Dan. I also like to diversify. So let's not worry about that. So, <laughs> I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Um, the other thing is like the other thing I find really good to do. I did a dynasty league uh, a couple of years back, that's still going, and our rookie pick every year follows the same rules. But we turn ADP off. We draft the so when you're drafting, it's set alphabetically, which then really because when you get to those third rounds, you're going okay, this is where I'm at. This is where the ADP says I'm going to take. You'll look for three or four names kind of either side and see if there's anyone you're kind of familiar with or want um, or like at that stage. Take the ADP out of it literally 
go and get your guys do your research do your work uh and do it if none of you guys have ever done that it's an interesting way to draft i'll tell you yeah i i definitely think that especially if you're drafting on like sleeper things like that the adp can be a little bit skewed anyways so be very careful i, I always say to people some people are proper degenerates and they like to do their rookie drafts before the even nfl draft i'm not into that personally because again we just talked about it for like 10 minutes there's hit there's misses everywhere from us there's misses from the nfl and part of the process in my mind um is seeing what the draft capital is so like you know every year we get players like last year we had isaiah spiller at one point was like a top three back for everybody some people were like he's the 101 he's the best running back in this class then through the process we see we didn't do very good at the combine okay he, we're hearing some weird kind of rumblings about character concerns blah, blah blah all of a sudden he falls in the draft like the fourth or fifth round if you'd had your rookie draft in january you'd have probably taken him at the 101 102 and you'd have been heartbroken you know and it's like, like willis right malik willis was the one yeah. i wanted Drafts yeah, stage. exactly. So for me, I don't do that. But what I do say is, look, if you're going to do, even if, if, if you do a rookie draft straight after the NFL draft, the ADP won't have a, had a chance to properly catch up and calibrate. So just be aware of things like that. Be confident in your own opinion of Israel Banakanda. Don't just listen to me and say that, I, oh, Evan says he sucks, so I'm not going to take him. But if you think that he's worthy of like a high second round pick, um, and the ADP hasn't updated to reflect that yet, then be confident and comfortable taking him where you feel. And that's for me, again, I don't want to go, but like I am who I am. I've got to be honest to myself and my process uh, because I love, again, the real NFL draft. I love the way guys like Daniel Jeremiah and, you know, Dane Brugler, all these guys attack it. A lot of times the way they'll do it, and if you've heard them talk about it, you probably hear it as well. They'll say things like, oh, I've got a first round grade on this player. I've got a second round grade on this player, right? And that made me start thinking a couple of years ago. I was like, why don't we do that more in, in Dynasty? Like we get so caught up in like being like, he's the 103 for me. He's the 104 for me. He's the 105 for me. And like very, very, very like specific. I feel like first of all, yeah, I feel like first of all, it leaves very little wiggle room. It leaves very little context. So for me, I've actually, that's the way I do my rookie stuff now is I say, look, I've got a late first round grade on him. I've got a second round and I'm talking like rookie draft grade. So what I mean by that is, the way I attack it is I'll come into the rookie draft and I'm like, okay, I've got one late first and I've got three seconds. Okay. So when I'm coming to that top of the second round, here's the three or four guys that I think are values in that range. And then if somebody who I had a first round grade is still there, that's a huge value to me. So I'm not going to stick to like, well, the 202 supposedly on my scale is a chain. So I must take a chain here. I want to live, give myself a little bit of flexibility. And that ties into the whole conversation of like tiers versus specific rankings, which I like tiers better anyway, but it just gives me an idea of like, Hey, here's a group of three or four dudes that I really like in this range. If any one of those guys is there, it gives me the flexibility then for trades and stuff. If I say, well, I'm okay to trade back three spots here because there's three yeah. guys still on the board that I love equally. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So I feel like that gives you a little bit more flexibility and makes you a little bit more equipped for the craziness of a rookie draft. You sound to me like you draft purely for need, uh, purely for value over need. Pretty much, yeah. Like I try to, most of the time, I basically try and go best player available because I personally like trading. So I'm always okay to trade. So I don't mind having like 15 great wide receivers. That's fine. I'll just go trade ones away that I don't need anymore for other things. Because right now, especially, I think one of the biggest problems or fallacies that you can get into at this stage in the off season is like, well, I really need an RB three on my team. It's like, yeah, but you're like five or six months away from setting your lineup. So you can get RBs way later on. You don't want to bypass, like say for example, Jordan Addison, just to get like 
your fifth ranked RB in the class. You know what I mean? That to me is where I'm like, well, don't worry too much about that. Take the best players available unless all the best players available are an even tier, in which case then yes, default to like, well, I need running backs. I've only got two running backs on this team. They're all the same to me. I'll take the best running back. Yeah. I mean, my thoughts would be that I, I would never want to draft for need in a rookie draft that doesn't necessarily mean that when I get to the rookie draft I want to have my you know my lineup set you know this is who I'm going to be starting in September but if I have a gap at RB and I get to a point where actually RB is not the value pick I would still pick a wide receiver a QB or whatever and then obviously look to trade or you know find value elsewhere later in the draft or whatever that might be. I, I think if you draft for need, you are losing out on value. And I think the whole thing of dynasty and fantasy football is value. If you, you know, take this player two rounds later, if I took a player two rounds later than Evan um, and he has a massive performance I've got better value than Evan and therefore I'm more likely to win than Evan is and as I say you don't have to Definitely. set anything in stone at this point right so take the best player available and then you deal with it you know afterwards you go start trying to make trades and you fill your roster up you know like that you know worst case scenario someone will likely come up on the waiver wire that will be a plug and play when it comes to the beginning of the season you know and you can fill in that way you know you just want to put the most points on or have players that have the potential to do that on your team um you know from the get-go and then you can move those pieces around yeah and i think that's a really good point i i, I would say the only sort of caveat I would add would be just to be aware of like the scoring and sort of the format of your league. Um, and specifically what I mean is like specifically probably like Superflex. So within Superflex, and, and the reason I say that is obviously you can start two quarterbacks in a Superflex. You probably want to be starting two quarterbacks when you can because they're by and large going to score the most points. So in that system, like what I mean by that is if I'm in a Superflex rookie draft this year, I am going to weigh Anthony Richardson, Will Levis more than I would weigh just a wide receiver because I love those wide receivers maybe, but at the same time, we can get loads of wide receivers. There's loads of wide receivers out there, whereas there's only 32 quarterbacks. And really of those 32, there's only maybe like 12 that you're really excited about for your dynasty teams. And especially once it's an existing league and it's been going for a couple of years, quarterbacks can be like gold dust. And then if you don't have one, Everyone can see you don't have one. <laughs> You're definitely going to have to pay <laughs> nose to get one. So I think with quarterbacks, that's the only sort of caveat I would say. I agree 100% with what you're saying. In a vacuum, 100%, always go best player available. But if it is like a super flex situation, you might shade it towards the quarterback. So say, for example, you're like, man, I'm sitting here. I've got Anthony Richardson um, or I've got Quentin Johnston. You know what I mean? I really like Quentin Johnston. But man, I've only got two quarterbacks, and this is a super flex league. You know what I mean? You probably want to side towards the quarterback because you're sort of like you need you need to realize and recognize the reason super flex leagues were invented is to put value on that quarterback position. So it's automatically going to be a little bit more valuable than just a wide receiver or running back. Especially if that quarterback ended up in Carolina or Indianapolis in this draft and they've traded there to get him, or the likelihood is they're going to hit week yeah. one or at least week five as a starter on that field. Exactly. And 
Well, sorry, Evan. Sorry, we no, go, go ahead. Then, we're, we're still drafting value, right? Because in a super flex league, we know that QBs are more valuable. So yep. like you say, to me personally, even if I didn't need the QB at that point, you know, and I would probably still take that QB because that then is a really valuable piece, you know, probably more valuable, you know, in, in a trade than the wide receiver is you know, in, in that super flex league. So I would still take that QB, even if I've got six on my team, because I know that this is going to be a more valuable piece to me to trade and move around than that wide receiver will be. Yeah, exactly. No, that's exactly. That's beautifully, beautifully put um, because you, you do just need to contextualize it. I think that the reason I say that is because I remember very clearly, I love Justin Herbert and I remember his rookie year, I was getting him at like 110, 111, yep. 112 in super flex leagues all the time because nobody liked him. Nobody was excited about him. And so for me, I think what was happening was people were looking at like, I don't, I'm not, I know he's got good draft capital. Ugh, I just don't really like him. And then, but they were looking at this wide receiver. I really like him and he's got good draft capital. I'm going to go with the wide receiver. So I think that's more what I'm talking about, but you're exactly right. As long as people understand that, 100% I agree with you. The value pick is the quarterback. If you think they have any shot, especially if they're a first-round pick in the NFL draft and they have a serious shot at being a starter, you know, where they have a high ceiling, like someone like a Will Levis or an Anthony Richardson with the athletic tools, I think you have to sort of like give the tiebreaker to the quarterback position because that's what the Superflex League is designed for. Um, guys, I'm going to just pop in. Stacey says we're doing a great job, guys and ladies. So thank you, Stacey. Stacey, I don't know if you guys know. Uh, is literally watches every five yard show as it happens. Um, he's always on the flagship show with me and Murph. Yeah, great guy, Stacey. So, um, let's wrap that up. Let's move on to our question time section, shall we? So, Evan, I mentioned to you earlier, um, the man that well took this where it is, the man whose seat I guess we're sat in now, Rich Coolin, has asked a question. I don't know who you are, and I'll tell you what, he's gone pretty <laughs> easy. He's gone okay. pretty easy because it could have been a lot worse. So, he's taking it easy the, on me. The question that Rich asked, not knowing who was coming on the show, was who is your favorite rookie not being taken in the first two rounds? And if it's not Keaton Mitchell, we're going to have words after the show, Evan. It is, it is not Keaton Mitchell. Um, <laughs> okay. It's, that's a really interesting question because I actually did a – it hasn't even gone out yet. I recorded a Superflex rookie mock, two-round rookie okay. mock draft with a good friend of mine, uh, Shevin Nooney from the Dynasty Rewind. And – it was really interesting as we were getting to the end of the second round, I was like, man, I, I really want to go trade for some third round picks because there's yeah. some players I really like yeah. that we didn't even take. And we're the ones doing the draft. You know what I mean? So if someone else was doing it, they probably would have some other players may have even fallen. So it's actually a really good question. And um, man, it's tough to nail it down to just one. There's a couple that are kind of popping out to me personally. Like I mentioned, I really like Evan Hull. And I think he'll easily be like a third or fourth round pick because I don't think people like him very much. Yep. Um, depending on your league and sort of like who's drafting in your league, Roshan Johnson's another running back that seems to be going into the third rounds um, at this moment in time, third or fourth rounds. Wide receiver wise, I think Jonathan Mingo is somebody I really like. And he for I'm, me is moving up and up and up as we get nearer to the draft. Jonathan oh, I'm Mingo. I'm a massive Jonathan Mingo. Like if I can get Jonathan Mingo in the third round, I yeah. am taking that all day, every day. I, I genuinely um I genuinely think he's so underrated. Like I really do. Uh, I think if you look at this wide receiver class, he's got yeah. the size 
and the athleticism that almost nobody else in this class has. He has way more like AJ Brown to his game than, you know, anybody else in this class, as far as like the size, big dude yeah. can go up and get the ball. He's uh, got yak for days. Like he's awesome. So if you can get him in the third round, I would love yeah. Jonathan. Mingo. He will top out mid second come June. I feel <laughs> he should. Um, I think, Keishon Butte is a guy who yep. is a post-hype sleeper. You know, I think coming into this season, a lot of people were anointing him as like sort of a top three or four wide receiver in this class. Because of injury, having a real pretty down year, I think people are really down on him. So you could probably pick him up in the third round. I think there's just a lot of little gems like that. Rasheed Rice, yep. another guy I really, really like out of SMU. Great. So unfortunately, I can't just nail it down to the one. I probably would say, like, like I said, a couple of guys, Evan Hole. Um, as far as running backs, Evan Hull and probably Rashawn Johnson, and depending on your league, I mean, dude, honestly, I don't understand some of this. Some of these people, some of these ADPs I've seen, I've seen Tajay Spears going in like the third round. That is insane to me. Wow. Like, that is that is criminal, man. Like Tajay Spears, yeah. I have like I have like a late first round grade on Tajay Spears. Like if he's in the second round, I think you're getting a value. Third round is like stealing. So wow. if you're doing those rookie drafts now, then go t- <laughs> go take those guys. Hannah, how about yourself on that? I think uh, pretty much agree with Evan on most of them. I'm not a massive fan of Keishon Boutte, if I'm honest. Obviously, we know he had that massive performance uh, a couple of years ago. You know, you thought that he was kind of going to continue with that. He had the injuries. He didn't do particularly well at the Combine. Now, again, here we are. You know, we know that we don't want to put too much weight on that. But I just wonder whether he might end up being like a Justin Ross type. I mean, we don't have the hype. Obviously, last year there was massive hype for Justin Ross. You know, he's an amazing player and uh, goes to the Chiefs, but he still cannot stay healthy now. Boutte may well stay healthy and start to do something, but I think the NFL are also a bit down on him. So I just I think landing spot is going to be important for him, to be honest. Fair. Keaton Mitchell for me. No one cottoned on. Um Another one that surprised me is Luke Musgrave. I think if you can get that's Luke Musgrave, insane. he can be the third. tight end one in this class. Yeah, six foot that's, six, that's... over two hundred and fifty pounds. Yeah, this guy. I, I will say, I will say, I think that there's a lot of really, really good values in the tight end class in this in this class because I think what's happened, tight ends take a little bit of time to develop, anyways, and I think people have been a little bit burned these last couple of years with tight ends yep. where they've been excited about even like think about Kyle Pitts. He's the poster boy for this. Like he's not lived up to what we thought so, he was going to be. I'll tell you um, now, Evan, I have never, and still to this day, never taken a tight end in a rookie draft. You're a bad man. I just don't see. We talked about value. Just mm. don't see the value. Because they're not going to enter the field as a top 10 tight end. They're going to enter the lower end, in which case there is a plethora of dudes you can go and pick up on a waiver wire at that stage. See, I think you should be taking shots on tight ends, especially in tight end premium leagues in like the third round and stuff. Because if you think about it, you could have picked up Chigazima Conquo at the 312 of him, yeah. all yeah. day last year, but he's been brilliant. And now you get an awesome ROI. So I think that in the third round this year, if you can get a Luke Musgrave or there's a couple other dudes that I would be really excited about. And I think that are going in the third round at this point in time. Like for me, um, Tucker Croft, really interesting dude that I'm really excited about. Um, you know, I think Michael Mayer is the obvious one, but everyone's kind of like super excited about him. So I don't think you're going to get much another one. Dalton Kincaid, awesome. I think he could be my tight end one in this class. So Dalton Kincaid, absolutely. Um, Guys like that, 100%, man. Third, fourth round. You should definitely be taking them and just stashing them on your taxi squad, if nothing else. Cool. 
Go on, Captain Go on, Sorry, No, I was just <laughs> going to say. and it went. <laughs> no, it is here, but I was like, oh, we should move on. Anyway, just quickly. Um, I think this class is different because we have so many, like, really good Titan prospects in this class, right? But I would agree with you. I would probably take a tight end this year. But I think I would generally agree with you, Dan, in that I would feel like, actually it's unlikely to give me value because obviously what we want with our rookie picks is for them to, especially like third and fourth round is to increase in value right over the year. So either they increase in value and you add them to your starting lineup and they give you points or they increase in value and you can use them as a trade asset and you can get other players onto your team that will give you points. Um, and I think typically we just don't really see that with tight ends um like they take so long to get going sometimes you know it's that he's sat on my bench for a million years and not done anything and he's kind of like wasting a spot if you know what i mean like i'd much rather go and trade for him in two years time um than have him like clogging up my roster personally if they if they came through quicker then i would have a different you know view on it but i think i'd much rather have one of these uh running backs that you know an injury and he's a starter and i can use him or i can trade him you know i know where i'm going to be in a year two years with these tight ends you have to sit on them for so long that they just end up sitting there they're no value to anyone you know you either drop them or they sit there and i don't know i just think it's not always the best there you go, Evan. use of a pick. But this I, was, seems I was fearing a league together, right? Evan, you can pick up Luke Musgrave in the fourth if everyone else thinks like me. I'm excited. What's <laughs> <laughs> going on? I will take um, Luke so Musgrave just, in the fourth. Yeah, I, I don't think you would get there, but um, there's a lot of other very experienced people in that league, so it'd be interesting to see that one. Um, also, guys, we've been asking for listener questions to come in, whether on Twitter, whether you're listening live. Keep sending them over to us. Uh, we've got the first few in, so we just quickly flick through these if we can. So James Collier, these are not related to the show. These are just what's come in. We're going to try and answer dudes' questions as they come in. James Collier, which is at JamesC294 on Twitter, says, do you think Kyler and two firsts is too much to pay for Josh Allen? Who wants to say that one? Uh, I'm assuming this is a super flex. <laughs> I've got very little context, and so my okay. one answer to that is give me some context. Yeah, uh, but yeah I, I'd, I, that's... I'd say for the argument of this, we'll go, yeah, everything we talk about is a super flex league. Makes yeah. sense, right? It's the predominant I, one now. Yeah, I, I don't think it's too much to pay. I think that's fairly reasonable. I just think I would probably have a hard time paying it, if that makes sense. So I think it's reasonable. For me, Josh Allen is my QB1 in Dynasty. So if we're talking about super flex league, I'm saying, well, he is the most important, most valuable you know, quarterback. So yeah, absolutely. I would love to have him as my, you know, but again, this is where context matters because you got to sort of say, if you're sitting on Kyler Murray and two first, what kind of position are you in, in your league? You know, if you, if you're rebuilding, I don't know that that's the wisest use of your, of, of your draft capital and stuff, because again, you're sort of saying, well, where are those first? Are those two 23 firsts? Are they two early 23 firsts? Are they a 23 and a 24 first? Are they a 24 and a 25? First? You know, all that stuff matters to me because for talk's sake, if we're talking Kyler, the 106 and a 24 first, mm -hmm. and say my team is like middle of the road or a really good team, but I'm not great at quarterback, I'd probably pay that, yeah, because I'd love to have yep. Josh Allen as one of my main quarterbacks. But if I'm struggling and it's like the 102 and I earned the 102 and Kyler and my first next year, I'm probably not paying that because I'd rather have Kyler, 
take Stroud or Young at 102 and start trying to trade up those guys and try and build up my roster rather than putting three or four of my best assets, maybe my only assets if I'm that bad, into getting one good player on my team. Because that one good player, no matter how good he is, he's not going to win me my league by himself. Yeah, so for me, there's two options here. One is do the trade, and I think it's a reasonable value. And Josh Allen sits on your roster then for the next eight years. It doesn't change. You've locked down that position. You can forget about it. Or are you going to be a little bit more, I think, bullish and <clears throat> use those drafts and use those things, hope you hit, which is a hope, in which case we talked about value all show, you'll potentially then have more collective value in pieces, which could add more to Josh Allen down the line. Um, it's how much you trust your instincts on your rookie drafting and say where the picks are, how you're going to pick, what value you're going to get from them, and also where your roster is. Because if you want to lock it down a position, Josh Allen does that for you for eight years. Agree, Hannah? Yeah, yeah, I do. A lot of it's about context, isn't it? Like, if you've got no pieces on your team, it seems a waste to send those three assets for Josh yeah. Allen. But if your team is pretty good and you just need that final piece to kind of bring it together, obviously Kyler's out for most of the season, then that might be the move you want to make. Uh, next question then, Dirk Vandenberg on Twitter, at Dirk Vandenberg. He's in a rebuild Superflex team in need of a quarterback, and he has the 101. Does he take Bijan or a quarterback, or does he trade down no further than the 103? What do we think? Do you want to go first, Hannah? Yeah, I know what I think. I mean, I I don't know what you think, Evan, in, in terms of your uh, tiers here. But for me, the consensus 101, even in Superflex, is Bijan. So I would either trade back um, – like he says, no further than 103, because if you trade back, you're also going to get extra assets. You're rebuilding, so you need as many assets as you can get. So I personally would trade back because I think someone would be going up to the 101 to take Bijan. If you cannot trade back, then I would take Bijan at the 101, and then I would look to trade him or yeah. you know trade other assets. I think ultimately it's about value here. Personally, I think that everyone thinks that he's going to be the 101, so I would try and get as many assets as I can and as much value out of that pick as I possibly can. So I would look to move out before the draft if I can. Yeah, I mean, I would. Um, I think the. I think we're all going to probably agree that the best thing you can do is trade back if you're if you're the one hundred one and you've earned the one hundred one because your team sucks. Then I think the best thing you can do is trade back, keep gathering. Look at what the Bears did. You know, in the real NFL draft, they were like, "Hey, we've got our quarterback. We've got a lot of holes on this roster. So instead of taking whoever we think is the best non-quarterback in this." We're going to trade back, get a wide receiver and more picks and things like that. I think that's exactly what you want to try and do. My only thing would be, obviously, you need to know your league. How active is your league? How much does your league trade? Because my concern would be, now, here's what I would do. If I had the 101, I would put it up on the trade block. I'd be going in the chat, guys, who wants the 101? Come get Bijan, blah, blah, blah. If no one's biting, because some people are going to assume, okay, right, you're going to want six firsts for this. You know, I'm not going to be able to afford it. I would actually go out and start offering trades and offer what you think is a good trade for you, but like be reasonable yep. because there's no yep. point in asking for six first because nobody's going to pay that. But if you can say, look, uh, you give me, say somebody's some say, say somebody's got like five quarterbacks, right? And you've only got one or two be like, like we just talked about Kyler Murray. Maybe they're like, oh, Kyler Murray's injured. He sucks. Like, give me your, give me Kyler Murray in the one Oh three and you can have the one Oh one. 
Do you know what I mean? Because then all of a sudden you've turned the 101 into Kyler Murray and CJ Stroud. So you've got two good quarterbacks for one first. You're never going to be able to trade one first for two quarterbacks in a normal league, but you got to be smart about it and you got to go out and proactively start offering trades that you think are reasonable, that you think are going to help your team, but at the same time, maybe a lot more reasonable than what they thought they were going to be able to get it for. My only last part on all that is if all that else fails, I probably would go with whoever you think is the best quarterback. Again, because it's a super flex league. The reason I'm saying that is that if the guys, if you've gone out of your way and you've offered those genuine trades and nobody's biting, why are they all of a sudden going to bite on Bijan if you've got him on your roster? And I they think can see that you're from the stops. NFL draft, Bijan's value can only fall from the NFL yeah. draft. If he lands, drafts. exactly. Yeah. If he goes to Green Bay for some reason, then people are like, wait a second. Aaron Rodgers yep. isn't there. They've got Aaron Jones. They got AJ Dillon. They got Bijan. What's going on here? I don't want this. You know, this is Bijan's and now, and value the, would the, never be higher than yeah. it is before the NFL draft. So that's the only thing I would say is like I agree with ninety percent of what Hannah said. I just think if I got stuck in a corner and all options were gone, nobody's trading for this one one Even though I've offered reasonable trades, I've tried my best, and I'm on the clock. I'll probably just take the quarterback because if he does hit, if CJ Stroud hits or if Bryce Young hits, or even if you want Anthony Richardson, if you think he's the 101, I don't agree. But if you think he is, if one of those guys hits, they are worth more than, than B. John Robinson. So I've actually done this this week in real life in a league. I'm in a full rebuild. I've got five first round picks in this rebuild. It's at that stage, but I had the 101. And I found a running back needy team who had the 102 rather handily. So I sent the 101 and Tyler Algier, and I got the 102, Traylon Burks, and a second next year chucked in. So okay. I've now added Traylon Burks. I've actually in this league now got the 2, 3, and 4. And I yeah. think there's a very realistic problem here that I might be taking Bryce Young, CJ Stroud, and Anthony Richardson with all three of those picks and taking the QBs clean off the board at 2, 3, 4. Can I just say one more thing before we move on? Of course you can. I I totally, totally get what you're saying, Evan, and I agree that if these quarterbacks hit, then likely they're in a Superflex League probably going to have more value than Bijan. However, I do think that at this time and probably early in the season, Bijan will hold the highest value until these other QBs kind of get themselves going. And they may not even necessarily get their value above his this season. I personally would take him because I think that at some point somebody is going to be QB needy. We know that he's going to go out there and he's going to perform like a beast. No matter where he goes, we know how good he is. I think people are going to want him once they've seen him on an NFL field. So even if you can't trade him before this, the season, you're, you're in a full rebuild team. So it's highly unlikely that you're going to be any way competitive this season. So I personally would take him and I would even hold him until beginning of the season or someone's, uh, you know, RB goes down like they all how many do. How many RBs do their ACLs and MCLs during yeah. pre-season My counterpoint to that would be look at Trey Lance and we've already talked about how he's, it's now he's going into his third year. He hasn't played any, but even up until last season, people were trading for him like crazy, trading first for him, trading up to get him really, really excited for him. Whereas somebody like Javante Williams, who I loved, who was my RB1 in the class, he kind of struggled his first year. Then he wrecked himself his second year. His value is kind of like really low compared to what it was. So I, I, I see both sides. I think there is more risk, though. Running back is the most violent position in the NFL, really. And like they have the shortest lifespan. I hope it doesn't happen. I hope he plays for 10 years and he's like the RB1 for the next 10 years. But if he comes out and breaks his leg day one, 
you're kind of stuck with this asset that's a diminishing asset now. But you could say that about a QB, right? Comes out well, and no, that's what I mean. Lands, no, I don't like, think he Clay can because something and breaks his leg. But but the thing is, I think if we look at Brees Hall from last season, right? So he goes and does his ACL, but still people want to trade for him. So last season I had Brees Hall in our exact dynasty team, um, and he went down. No good for me, but I. I traded him, someone still wanted him, and I traded him for CMC, I think, maybe with some other assets. But, you know, I do think that these really generational RBs, like he is not any old, he's not Javante Williams, you know. He is more Saquon. It's easy on the Javante <laughs> He is no Keaton Mitchell. <laughs> he's not, though, like Javante, great, but he isn't. Like, we, we already know what Bijan is and you know, he is, to be honest, you know, more Saquon-esque. I think he will hold more value than Javante, personally. Even Brees Hall. Like, Brees Hall, personally, I still think held value because people saw what he did for the first few games and they're like, wow, I want this. And they still want to take him. You could yeah. have Zach Wilson, you know, as an example. He has zero value and never really had all that much value. Yes, okay, you could get a second for him at the time, but he never really played that well. No one really got that excited about him. You know, I this guy can make his own decision. It's up to him. But <laughs> I personally would go with the consensus 101 and I would try and make moves to move him at some point. Like you say, it could backfire on you, but I think taking a QB could also... Okay. Yeah, there's no sure thing. And I think that's where you got to come down to like, how well do you know yourself and how well do you know your league? If you're confident in your trading ability, that could be the right move for you. Because if you get into the season and people are just jonesing for some Bijan and they're, they're willing to give up the, the, you know, the sun and the moon once they've seen it and they can see it on the NFL field, happy days. But if you're not confident in your ability to move him or if, or if your league is just like, you're like, man, this league doesn't trade a lot and things, maybe it's not the right move. But that's the fun thing about Dynasty. And that's the fun thing about Fantasy is that, you know, there's more than one way to skin a cat, as they say, and there's like lots of different ways you can attack it. And it's not necessarily that Hannah's wrong and I'm right or vice versa. It's just, hey, this is different ways of attacking it because hopefully gives, you know, the listener as well as other people ways to think about it like oh, i didn't think about that actually you know that's a good good way of attacking it i should take Bijan and just trade him for six firsts you know awesome yeah i agree um by the way yeah it's it's funny it's like draft capital where andy richardson lands as we said just now the panthers or the indianapolis Colts, and Bijan ends at the packers their values suddenly come not together and flip-flop but they certainly get closer between them in terms of how they're um, aspired. I remember, I want to say to Murph, it's probably about three or four years ago. Murph started to hype on a player intentionally to see the impact it had on an ADP. Um, and it was something that was entwined. And the rumors went and it grew and grew and grew. And they saw how much Twitter and fantasy and the hype and that can actually have an impact on a player's ADP because it does. Um, so I don't know. I would say. Trust yourself. I would say if he drops from the 101 after the draft, like I wouldn't be taking him, obviously. Like it's only if he remains as the consensus 101 that everyone is. You yeah. Know, if he goes in like the him. second round to a bad landing spot and then people are freaking out about him, it's different. But yeah, if he goes in the first round, like the Eagles, then it's like, okay, happy days. You know, he's like, he's locked in as like he's going to get a workhorse role. He's in a super. I don't run mind him team. in the second round. I don't mind him going in the second round for me. It's just about where. 
that's what I'm saying though, is if he goes in the second round and like San Francisco trades up for him, yeah. <laughs> all of a sudden he's on he's on oh. the 49ers with CMC, then it's like everyone's gonna be like tearing their hair out. Oh my Elijah Mitchell stuff that I got free is gone. <laughs> everyone's freaking out about CMC and you're like Elijah Mitchell. <laughs> free Elijah Mitchell. Trey Sermon was the other one, wasn't it? No, wasted. Oh. Never mind. Heartbreak. Fine. Guys, we have other questions. I'm gonna leave them for another show. But um Evan, as we said, we started off with Rich's question to you, to the not knowing who you are. So I'm going to ask you now, if you can, to pose our next guest, whomever it be, whenever it be, a fantasy-related question, sir. Um, okay, so whoever you may be, mystery guest, uh, great job. I think you did a fantastic job on this show, whenever you did, whenever you are <laughs> on. Um, my question would be, so if you could go back in time and tell yourself one thing about Dynasty for the first year that you played, what would it be? Now that you've oh, played for five that. years, ten years, whatever it is, go back and tell yourself, listen. So you're you're there, first ever, start up yeah. draft. What's yeah. the one bit of advice? Here's the one yourself? thing that's gonna save you so much heartache and so much pain in your the dynasty cash, uh, you know, <laughs> career. Don't okay. start playing. Love that. <laughs> do not use do not use MFL. Whatever they tell you, do not use MFL. <laughs> We have free Tuesday nights again if everyone gave that advice, Hannah. So. I know, but I mean, you know, heartache and pain, you know, come to the territory, right? Indeed, indeed. Very true. Awesome. Evan, again, tell everyone, I know we started out a little bit, you, where we can find you, what you do. Plug yourself a little bit, my man. Yeah, I mean, if you haven't heard too much of me already, which is very unlikely you can check out dynasty debates um just Great on any podcast listening platform to be honest with you so yeah have guests on all the time have good chats um just talking prospects at the minute but year-round show so in season we're talking start sits we're talking trades we're talking all sorts in the off season we do a lot of prospect talking things and then afterwards we'll do things like talk about startup strategies talk about you know trading strategies all that kind of stuff so yeah just come over and check that out or i do some writing and i do rankings over at dynasty nerds as well and you can catch me on twitter at ff evolution if you so wish good and you'll be at the uk ffc event in person i in will indeed unlike Good. hannah she she ditched us last year but i will be there for second year running oh we'll be here hopefully <laughs> she won't come down here <laughs> she's not getting out of it again so um guys thank you for your time hannah i know you have um a lot going on at the minute with your your work and such like so thank you for joining us on our first show together um you're gonna take some time and come back and join us in a few weeks i think is that right yeah, it's been an absolute pleasure. It's been awesome to chat to both of you. Evan, thank you so much for joining us for our first uh, pod. Uh, it's been really great to chat to you, everything rookies. Um, yeah, so I am going to step away for a few weeks, but I will be back first week of May, which will be the first show after the draft. So I think we're going to have lots to talk about. Really looking forward to that. So I will see everyone then. Uh, but until then, thank you all very much. Yeah, guys, thanks very much for listening. Hopefully we'll see you next week. Send your questions over, Twitter and that, and we'll get them answered when we can in the future weeks. Uh, and until then, keep rushing. <laughs>
the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health Right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé irresistible berry chantilly cake and more special treats come celebrate mother's day at whole foods market